0: to wrestling omakase it is episode number 239 and this week i am pleased to be joined by a first time guest hello liam
1: hi how you doing
0: good how are you doing today liam
1: yeah not too bad um my uh son woke up at four in the morning uh for me this morning and it's now half eight at the evening i've been a, i've been at work as well so uh, i'm a little bit tired but mm. i'm looking forward to talking about survivor series so that's good
0: so it's yeah it's 3 30 p.m here on the uh on the east coast of the u.s and we it's a national i mean i i don't i don't know if this is a national holiday we always get off at my job they always give us thanksgiving and the friday off i don't think it's actually like a federal holiday or anything but a lot of offices are closed so uh but yeah i mean uh, you know i mean it's not that I, I work from home anyway so it's like you know it's just the day where i get to work not work from home instead of work
1: that's how you feel, feel slightly less guilty
0: yeah um but yeah, so we're here, back here on another show. First of all, I have to address the elephant in the room. Uh, if you're a longtime listener and you're like, "Is this one of the two Liam's who has appeared numerous times on the show?" The answer is no. This is a third Liam. So we now have had three different Liam's as a guest, which I it has to be the record for like a name, uh, as far yeah. as like most yeah. different people with the same name. We've had Liam McCann, uh, who of course is from a you know, the the I, well, I know him on the Super J Cast Discord he's been on for a bunch of uh you know Japanese wrestling episodes. We have uh Liam Jones, who is the co host of the uh TNA podcast on this very network, the uh You've Got to Be Kidding Me, formerly co host of Wednesday War Games with Garrett Kidney. Uh also been a guest. And now we have uh I'm gonna take a stab at your last name, Liam Byrne.
1: Yeah, very good. It's Irish. So okay. it's, it's just, the the, the y is uh silent so it's, I, fi- it's, I mean I am just...
0: I am Irish American at least so I, I I took yeah. a guess you know uh,
1: but... I, I I I claim my Irish heritage from my so my my dad's family basically my his parents but I've never um I've been to Ireland once for a stag do and that's about it but yeah um I my, my I I'm a teacher so my kids often uh, I get called Bjorn and Bjornie and, <laughs> and Burns and various other things so it does it throws a lot of people yeah
0: but there you go. I, I took a guess and I got it right. Uh, but yeah, so Liam, the third Liam, the completing the hat trick of Liam's here on uh, wrestling a wrestling match. so. I guess Liam, since you're a new guest, I always like to start out with um, you know your background as a wrestling fan. You know where, how you got into wrestling and when you got into wrestling and all that. so you want to get into that?
1: Yeah. So it's one of those I don't I don't really remember wrestling not being part of my life in some ways. Like I remember having. VHS videos and and, and wrestling figures from, you know, sort of four upwards. Um, I mainly remember my my sort of biggest kind of like uh, introduction to it was um, there's a a channel called Eurosport over here and they had what they called World Superstars of Wrestling. And Mm -hmm. effectively it was um, New Japan, but like dubbed with English commentary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I've heard of that. Um, generally focusing, I think, on the American wrestlers for the most part, but um, some of the junior heavyweights as well. So I saw a lot of and um, Liger, saw a lot of um, Pegasus, Pegasus Kid or Chris Benoit, uh, but also saw a lot of Shinya Hashimoto and Tony Harm. So for a while, I thought Tony Harm was a really, really good wrestler because I didn't know any better. <laughs> um, but yeah, so obviously that, that was uh, soon soon proved to be wrong. And I've just sort of followed it for, for many years. I mean, I had... I think, mean, like a lot of people, you sort of dip in and dip out, don't you, at times. Sometimes, yeah. you know, it's not always a, a universal kind of like forever and a day sort of thing that you're going to follow. But, you know, I, I loved it um, through the Attitude Era. I went to university after that and sort of dipped out of it a little bit. And I kind of got back into it. As I got to um, an age where I could kind of spend my own money, um, it, it sort of coincided with um, the sort of the Brit Res boom that sort of happened a few years ago, you know, unfortunately. Where are you, where are you based, there, by right? the way?
0: If, if so where I am I based?
1: So I'm based um, in the south. Um, so I'm actually from London originally, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm based in the south. So, so when I, when, I, when it came to going to live events, I'd go to uh, Revolution Pro Wrestling or Riptide, mm-hmm. um, with my two kind of local ones.
0: Yeah, makes sense. I was just wondering because you've mentioned you know the Brit Reds boom and all that. Didn't yeah, it, it was just one well,
1: as soon as you got as soon as you realize like you, know, you like something and you have money that's expendable and at that point I didn't have um you know uh, I hadn't got married to my wife yet and I didn't have a long term commitment in terms of family so you're like oh you know what? I'll go and watch some you know watch some events so I went to a, yeah a fair few um, but I'll be honest with you like. Current wrestling, I'll dip into AEW occasionally. I do watch a lot of Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate's a popular one for me, but I do still tend to watch a lot of older wrestling, just because it's just stuff I I just quite like. I I mean, it just some sort of it's a nostalgia maybe, but I do just you know tend to go back rather than sort of keep up to date with current stuff.
0: So I was going to mention that. So the reason why you know, I mean, you're a voice wrestling contributor, and I what I know you from is those. uh, like those month and review those year interviews things you do where you, you do like a million columns on a single year. Um oh, yeah nine nine two I
1: was doing wasn't I yeah.
0: yeah. So you you know, I know you obviously as like a retro person. And, you know, to me it kind of explains why you've never been on before because usually when I'm asking for a guest, uh, it's for like, you know, these three or four current Puro companies. And it's like, well, you know, if you're not watching them, obviously you're not gonna volunteer for that. But here I vol- I asked if anyone wanted to do a Survivor series retro Roulette episode, and uh, you did decide to volunteer for that, so that's cool. So that's why you're making your first yeah, appearance. Yeah,
1: here. It's, it's something I've I've wanted to get into to do a few more from time to time. I've done a, I've done a few uh, before, but the problem always is that like you said like people tend to be doing stuff that's kind of current, and then uh, you know I'm like oh I'll happily come on and talk about 1980s mid south, but like people, <laughs> people aren't always looking for that in the guest. So
0: yeah, so you know I, I talked about it I think uh, on the last episode a couple of weeks ago. So I'm. I am also not watching a ton of, uh, you know, current wrestling. I'm kind of taking a little bit of a break. Mostly just, um, you know, I, I it's kind of just where I got very burnt out. So, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to see. You know, a lot of times when you're when you're th- when you're really burnt out on current wrestling, at least for me, what helps is to take like a couple months off, and then you know, by the time you get back into it, like with fresh eyes, you know, I can usually be really fired up for it again. Um,
1: yeah. You know, yeah. So I have- waves. I go through, so I go through waves of, like, um, even now, like, even when I'm in it, I sort of uh, – I'll watch wrestling maybe every night for a week or two and then, you know, spend a couple of weeks where I'll be watching films or watching TV shows and just avoiding wrestling. So, yeah, I, I do kind I of – I can't watch it all the time.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I've been keeping up with, like – I've been sort of keeping up with AEW. I mean, I haven't been watching the full Dynamite. It's just, like, clips and stuff. And then uh, I've been watching, you know – yeah, I watched a little bit of Vested of Super in and *World Tag League*. I haven't really kept up with it daily either, and uh, you know, I've, you know, I have I've been like, other than that, I mean I've really dipped out in the other Japanese companies. And I figure, you know, to, to, it's a great time to jump back in at the start of the year because besides *Russell Kingdom*, you have like a million shows right around the, the new year in in Japan. So I figure I'll probably try to jump back in around there. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, we got shows to do here to close out the year. So I figure. We'll do, you know, a bunch of these Retro Roulette episodes, which I've really enjoyed doing. Hopefully you, the listener, have enjoyed listening to them. Uh, but yeah, so we have Survivor Series here. Next time out will probably be Starcade, since obviously that became a December show uh, for WCW. And then we'll wrap it up with uh, the final show of the year will be the, the Tokyo Dome Retro Roulette to lead up to Russell Kingdom, where, you know, again, just like the past ones we've done, uh, it'll be all... Tokyo Dome shows, not just New Japan, not just 1-4, and we'll see what we get, because those have been fun to do in the past and got a lot of wacky stuff. Um, as far as, you know, the, the Retro Roulette episodes go, if you enjoy this format, I should mention, uh, even though the Patreon is not currently active, there is a bunch of older episodes on there, uh, and you, if you want to hear more Retro Roulette episodes, you can sign up for $5 at com slash Omakase. Now, since the Patreon is not currently active, you will be charged only one time. You don't get charged uh, monthly, but, you know, if you do enjoy the format, there's a bunch of episodes up there on the Patreon that you can, uh, you know, still access for five bucks. So definitely wanted to mention that. Okay, so the theme here, Survivor Series Retro Roulette. I thought this would be an interesting one to do because, you know, obviously for the time of year, you know, used to be on the Thanksgiving, uh, you know, Survivor Series, for those who don't know the story, originally started by the WWF at the time. Uh, to fuck with Jim Crockett Promotions and uh, you know, take away the the Thanksgiving tradition of that was Starrcade at the time, and sort of chase Starcade, uh into December. So you know, Survivor Series started out as the Thanksgiving thing, so I figured it makes sense to do the day after, you know, American Thanksgiving. I should say, uh, I know this this year Survivor Series already took place. Uh, I did not watch it. I don't know if you did, Liam. It sounds like it was quite horrible.
1: Uh, I just haven't watched it for so long. And to be fair, yeah. the, the, one, the one show that would often bring me back at least to check it out was Survivor Series. And it is this... Really? It, it, yeah. Weird, weird. <sighs> okay, maybe not in recent years, but definitely. Like, <laughs> um, I, I grew up really liking Survivor Series. And actually, I feel like my brain sort of played tricks on me. Because actually, as I then reflect back on it, I'm like, I'm not quite sure what I liked about it. That's a great... Know, I'm
0: glad you said that because I was going to say, I, my intro for this was going to be... Uh, this is the first like retro I'm doing where I have no nostalgia for this pay-per-view at all. Cause like, I was thinking about it. Like what are the great survivor series moments? And it's like, or matches. And it's like, there's a lot of years where this pay-per-view was nothing. Yeah. Uh, and no, like I going, agree. going through the car, like to me, it's the least interesting, of the big four pay-per-views for sure. And you know, when we see what the randomizer assigned us, I mean, there ended up being one match of these six matches Uh, that really surprised me that I really enjoyed you know a lot more than I expected to Uh, the rest was not very good (laughs) as I guess we'll we'll get into Um, and it was just a very a very interesting topic because it's like yeah I don't have any nostalgia for Survivor Series I mean I was thinking about like what great Survivor Series moments do I remember you know from my many years where I actually was watching WWE regularly and I you know I mean Everybody will think of the screw job, obviously, which is not a great moment. It's just a historic moment, right? Um, you know, there really isn't a lot else. I mean, there is a lot of Survivor Series are just not very good. Um,
1: yeah, I attended. I, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, as I say, I, I my my thing is, um, I had a friend who I used to go and sort of like, yeah, you know, when, when you are at the age where you start sort of like sleeping around mates' houses and stuff like that. And he had a couple of Royal Rumbles on VHS, and he had I think Survivor Series ni- uh, eighty eight and ninety. So I think what my brain's done is basically I really enjoyed going around there and I watched them so many times and just it was sort of tied into like a a, a time in my life and a period. And then I believed forever that I liked Survivor Series when actually I probably like about two Survivor Series events (laughs) and that's about it.
0: What are the two, do you know? Of the type well, I'm just saying,
1: I was going to say, I like 88 and 90 probably because it, ah, I sort okay. of go to them and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I enjoyed them. And you know, there, there, there are some novelty. You know, quite, I remember having 1995, I believe, on, on, on VHS. So That was the one where they did the wild card, if I remember rightly. So a mm-hmm. wild card uh, match. Well, it didn't really work. was kind of an interesting idea. But yeah, a lot of the, especially after the golden generation of like, when you move away from the 80s in particular into the early 90s, it really just falls off a cliff.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the 90, I was thinking off the top of my head, like probably the best one to me is 96, which was the MSG one that has that, that really great Bret Hart and Steve Austin match, um, oh, yeah. which we've covered on our Five Matches episode, actually. And it has, you know, has the Rocks debut, which is at least historic, even if the match wasn't that big a deal. And, uh, you know, it has Shawn and Sid, which again, not a great match or anything, but a a, a cool moment when Sid wins the title with that camera that camera shot, just kind of a moment that sticks out in my mind. But yeah, thinking about like you know Survivor Series, like that comes to mind to me as like one that I at least enjoyed. um Deadly There really are many others. So yeah, well,
1: Deadly Games probably the one as well. Where if you're looking at considering when people go back to look at the Attitude Era, they sort of say that you know the, the booking wasn't great actually on a on a week by week basis. Yeah, Deadly Game at least was like the culmination of something. I yeah, we'll get to, cool I mean, cool we're gonna,
0: TV we TV actually TV. got, we actually got that show in the randomized, so we'll get to that, but that's, that, that is, like, at least, that probably is Vince Russo's highlight, I think, uh, with the WWF. Uh, I was gonna mention, I've been, I've attended two Survivor Series live, neither of which we got, uh, the 2002 show, which was the first Elimination Chamber, which, you know, I, I have good memories of it, that's, uh, that's, you know, the, the, the show where Brock lost the WWE title to, to Big Show when Paul Heyman turned on him, and, as I've told the story on this show a million times, uh, you know, so at this time I was I was still a teenager. And, you know, so my, I was there with my dad and my dad went backstage uh, looking for a place to smoke because that's the kind of person my dad is and just happens to run into the big show like <laughs> moments after he won the WWE title. And, you know, he didn't even know who he was really. He described him to me afterwards. He's like, oh, this big guy who uh, had a belt over his shoulder. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the big show. He just won the title and he tried to get an autograph from him and the big show was like, I don't have a pen pal. You know, I'm sorry. I don't have a pen or a paper or anything. Uh, cause he just got out of the ring cause he just won the title and he was in a place where my dad was not supposed to be. So yeah, that, that was a uh, survivor series 2002. So I would have been what? I would have been 16 at the time. Yeah. So the survivor series 2002, and then survivor series 2006 in Philly um i went to with my buddy Corland. that was yeah like you know that i have much less memories of even or at least strong memories of than the 2002 show because it was like you know if you look at the cards it's kind of a nothing show i mean uh you know main event is batista beating king booker for the world title not not exactly a classic uh you know there's mr kennedy and the undertaker the first blood match just not a very good show at all so that's you know uh not a great pay-per-view honestly but yeah, so that's uh, that's the I guess those two those two shows that I attended. We didn't get either one of them, but I figured I'd mention it. Uh, the shows we did get, we start off with. I assume you you've never attended Survivor Series, right? Being no, like, no, no. Yeah, I'm, yeah.
1: I was just trying to think if I've ever attended a WWF event or WWE event. Uh-huh. I think I don't think I did. I think I went to a WCW Monday Nitro in London once, mm. but I was in the dying days of WCW, so it wasn't exactly the best of events, but um, yeah, just never really fancied <laughs> going to see the WWE live, or never really yeah. had the opportunity to to be fair.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I went, so you know, being in the Northeast US, I mean there's a million shows around here, uh, so I went to a ton of them between you know, like, well the very first show I ever went to was WrestleMania 10, but I was seven years old and barely remember it, uh, but like a ton of shows I went to between like 98 and uh, to, I think the very last show I ever went to was a pay per view in two thousand nine in Long Island. I think it's called Night of Champions. I always I always make I always mix it up. I think it's made, it was a show where Triple H and Edge were the w, wrestle the WWE title. No, not Night of Champions. I guess it's uh, I guess it was something else. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> well, I attended a pay per view. I attended a pay per view in two thousand nine. Uh, but yes, so or maybe it was two thousand eight. I don't know. The point is, I attended a... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what pay-per-view it was. But, I, but the point is, my final pay-per-view was right around there. Because uh, I just looked up my Champions 2009. That was in Philly. And the one I went to was definitely in Long Island. But, uh, you know, the the point is, I always forget this one anyway when I'm making my list of uh, pay-per-views I, I attended. Because I really it's another really, really forgettable show that I don't even remember. But yeah, I went to a lot of different pay-per-views and a lot of... Uh, you know, not that many Raws or Smackdowns. I never really liked going to TV tapings, um, but yeah. So, a a lot of uh, a lot of different shows between like '98 and like 2008, 2009. But I have not attended a WWE show since then, and uh, you know, really don't have any plans to. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like you're missing much. They've been pretty terrible. Uh, I should mention. I meant to mention this earlier. Uh, one thing I did attend on Wednesday was a the Rangers Islanders hockey game at the new UBS arena. And I wanted to mention this mostly because there's a couple wrestling shows coming up in the next few weeks at the same arena. This is the brand new arena. They just opened uh, on right on the side of Belmont park. So basically right over the border between when you get over the border from Queens to long Island, they open this brand new arena. Uh, And if you have tickets, if you're listening to this and you happen to have tickets to either Raw on mon- this coming Monday, which I assume you no know, one who listens to this would have taken us to that. But far more likely, uh, Dynamite on December 8th. So that's a week from this coming Wednesday. Uh, you're in for a treat at this arena, especially if they have all the amenities open. It's like, honestly, probably the nicest arena I've ever seen. I mean, I guess it should be when it's a brand new and they spent over a billion dollars on it. But uh, it is one hell of an arena. I mean, like there's just, uh, you know... A million bars there that all look really nice. They they have like this outdoor. The thing that I guess really surprised me is it's like they, they have this outdoor deck on the second level, and they call it the Heineken Terrace or something. And it, it basically has like a DJ and like there's a ton of people out there partying, and it feels more like it feels somehow like you just went to like an outdoor bar at a hotel or like a resort instead of an arena. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really seen anything like it uh, in a, in an arena before. So you know if they had that open when uh, raw and dynamite happen i don't know if they maybe i don't know if it's just for for new york islander games or what uh, i would definitely check it out they don't even charge they don't charge anything to go out there either it's just like cuz the first time i saw it i thought maybe it'd be some kind of like special thing for uh you know like season ticket holders or there'd be a separate charge or something but no it's anyone can go out there apparently so
1: yeah i think there's a lot of the newer sort of like uh, developments in sport they do tend to just try and make them much more uh, they used outside of that sort of stuff. Like that. Cause I'm a Fulham mm-hmm. fan, like in foot when it comes to or soccer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are having one of our stands rebuilt and they've put some, um, I think uh, an infinity pool on top of one. Oh, of them wow. People. Yeah. Like, obviously you've got to pay for that, but like basically <laughs> it's designed for like getting, you know, people with lots of money to come and, and spend their money in the, in the stadium, irrelevant of whether they're watching the football, it would seem.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it is a really, really cool arena. And there's a lot of food options too. Um, you know, lots of different ones. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy because, I mean, the New York Islanders, for for so long they played in the biggest toilet in the NHL, that Nassau Coliseum, which I, I've been there quite a few times, and that place was a fucking dump. Uh, easily the worst arena I've ever been to. So to see them go from that, and then they had that stop in the Barclays Center, which, you know, Barclays is a nice arena, but it was built for basketball and the sight lines for hockey, which, again, when I, I saw – I think I only ever went to one game there because – the sightlines really were that horrible. I mean, if you were on one side of the arena, you basically could not see half the ice. It was really, really bad. Uh, but yeah, so they, they went from that to the Barclays Center, back to Nassau, and now they go from Nassau to this like this palace. Basically, it's like you know someone moving from a, a trailer park to the Taj Mahal. It's really like it's really something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so that that arena was very cool. I just wanted to mention it really quickly since there are a couple big wrestling shows coming up, uh, you know, well, at least a couple of TV tapings coming up in the next few weeks. So if you happen to be going there, uh, or if you ever do go- decide to go there for wrestling, since I'm sure they'll be back, you know, it's a very cool arena. The only thing that sucked is the the rideshare, like, pickup drop-off was in such a weird place that uh, the the person dropped me off could not fucking find it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a little weird, but uh, maybe I'm sure they'll work those kinks out. But it's part of like being like they sh- they share the parking lots I guess for the Belmont Park Racetrack, so the guy really could not figure out where the hell he was going. But again, you know, I don't really think it was his fault. Uh, so I guess that's the one negative of the arena. So if you're taking if, you're, if you happen to be taking over there like I did, uh, you know, just I guess keep that in mind. It is like it's really close to my house. It's like twenty minutes, so that is pretty cool to have a arena that nice that close.
1: Do you uh, plan to go there more often then?
0: Uh, for sure. For like, I mean, every time the Rangers are, and the Kings are playing the Islanders, I'll definitely go. And then maybe if I, if the, like the ticket prices right now are super, super, super high, uh, you know, cause of the brand new, the brand newness, I guess. But if the Islanders keep playing as bad as they are and the uh, you know, the ticket prices start coming down, I'll probably just go to random games cause it's so close. But Anyway, well, let's get into uh, the one thing I would not be going to with Monday night raw, which like, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying you have to pay me to go, but uh, you would definitely have to gift me a ticket. Let's just say, and perhaps maybe buy me some booze to get through the show. But I will be. But I will be at Dynamite, so I do have tickets to that on December eighth. So uh, if you're going to Dynamite too, you know, feel free to shout me out. I guess. All right. So let's get into the actual topic here: the Survivor Series shows that we got. Uh, first of all, we start out with the very first show in 1987, which I was happy we got the first show, and then on top of that. We got the very first match in Survivor Series history. So that's what we got uh, as our first match here. Now, you might be like, oh, what are the odds of that? But there are only four matches on this show. <laughs> so once we got the show, the odds of getting the first match were one in four. So not very bad at all, honestly. Um, looking at the card, I would have loved to get that women's match with the jumping bomb angels in it. You know, uh, that would have been pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, I don't really regret getting the opener instead of like the main event or that big tag team clusterfuck. Yeah, so.
1: yeah I, f- I feel like, to be fair, I like the look of most of these matches in some capacity. Like I so said, the jumping bomb angels would be great to have had a bit of a look at. Um, and also, the tag, the total of the massive humanity, I guess, in the tag uh, match is interesting. Although, I do think that the quality of the teams in the next year's one was better. So, therefore, I was a bit less inclined. Um, What always interested me about the main event of this one was that um, Bam Bam Bigelow was made to to look like a star. And if you never really watched any of the TV or never really saw – or even, to be fair, even if you watched most of the pay-per-views around it, I had WrestleMania 4 on VHS, and he got counted out in the first round to one-man gangs. I'm like, how is this man being pushed so highly in this match considering, as far as I was concerned, he did very little else?
0: yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean there. Uh, but yeah, as far as the car, you know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of cool to get the first match in Survivor Series history. So this show took place November 26, 1987, from the Richfield Coliseum in Richfield, Ohio. A claimed attendance of 21,300. I don't know about that one. <laughs> Sounds a little high for it looked like a standard arena, but I don't know. Uh, the match here was the team of the uh, Brutus Beef Cave. British Beefcake, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Ricky Steamboat, and Randy Savage defeating Danny Davis, Hercules, King Harley Race, Ron Bass, and the Honky Tonk Man uh, in 24 minutes exactly. So this, of course, was a traditional Survivor Series 10-man elimination match. Uh, All the matches on this first show were elimination matches. So, you know, this is not just the first Survivor Series. It's the first, I guess you would say, non-WrestleMania regular pay-per-view because you do have uh the wrestling classic one night tournament in november of 85 two years earlier that's that was the first i guess uh that was the first pay-per-view period i think because i don't think wrestlemania won was a pay-per-view so wrestling classic would be i think the first pay-per-view um and then this would this would be the first uh you know i guess you would say regular pay-per-view that continues to this day since uh SummerSlam and the royal rumble were not yet pay-per-views uh so the team captains here The Honky Tonk Man and Randy Savage. Uh, Honky, of course, in the middle of his legendary IC title right at this point, he beat Ricky Steamboat for the belt at a Superstars taping on June 2nd. Uh, Steamboat, of course, had beaten Savage uh, in their very famous WrestleMania 3 match on March 29th. Now, Savage's face turn actually came about because Honky Tonk Man just randomly declared himself to be the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. Uh, And keep in mind, he's like four months into his title reign at this point. So definitely a heel move here. Um, I don't know the date on this. I I did see a video clip of the segment, but uh, there was no actual date on it. So I assume we're sometime like late summer, early fall. But yeah, so he declares himself the greatest champion of all time. Savage comes out to confront him. And he had been getting cheered heavily as a heel at this point anyway. So it was more of like a de facto face turn than anything else. He just came out and was like, hey, hockey, I'm the greatest IC champion of all time. And that was it, basically. So... Uh, It led to a match on Saturday night's main event on September 23rd. Savage won that by DQ. Uh, They wrestled throughout the fall. Honky was starting to win by count out in DQ. And the feud stretched all the way into February 88 before they finally went their separate ways. Uh, Savage, of course, went on to win the WWF title for the first time in the WrestleMania 4 tournament. Uh, Honky went on to hold the IC title until SummerSlam 88 where he loses the Ultimate Warrior in 31 seconds, but we're right smack dab in the middle of their feud here, and that's why they're both captaining these teams. Uh there's some other issues too. You know, there's uh I think King King Harley Race had an issue with Jim Duggan, I believe. Um, you know, they they kinda yeah, so so Jim Duggan, Harley Race hit Jim Duggan with his own two by four. That that set that up. Um, but yeah, they we got a quick promo from Honky before the match. That includes some lovely footage of him shoving down Miss Elizabeth in the ring at a uh, unspecified point. And he talks so fast in his promo, you can barely hear him. And everyone else in the background is just doing that like, uh, grrr, like, you know, WWF mid-80s heels you know they're, they're just making random like grunts and noises in the background i think that's
1: why i think that's why i liked the survivor series is that i watched when i was younger cuz it's that thing of like it's all so colorful and yeah, the characters are so big and kind of these kind of groups coming together and yeah, like it's you know, making sort of you know, the generic hill <laughs> noises and the generic baby face noises and just yeah. yeah like when you're when you're quite young you're like oh my god this seems so amazing even though i mean yeah the great. Right.
0: yeah there's a cool element to survivor series where like you know the that you have all these wrestlers coming together to form these teams. It's almost like a sports team or something. The problem I feel like they always have with the survivor series, uh, with the survivor series setup in general is it's like, there's nothing on the line, right? So it's just who wins or loses these matches. And they they tried to fix this kind of with that ultimate survivor thing in 1990, but you know, as it it worked to, to, it worked at the start of uh, the WWF because you know, wins and losses in general still kind of mattered, but as you have gone on now, you, it just feels like these elimination matches really don't matter at all because you know who wins and loses the match on WWE don't ma- doesn't fucking matter ever. So it feels like there's you know there's nothing on the line here and there's no reason to care. Uh, you know, especially as they made it, it, it
1: about brain supremacy. Strange. So sorry, it's occasionally very strange as well because what would happen sort of in the earlier ones, if I remember rightly, you'd have these wrestlers that would fight a lot on house shows, and mm-hmm. then their kind of blow off finish was in a Survivor Series match. Indeed, like yeah. someone would pin someone else, and then that was kind of the feud over. It felt really yeah. odd.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just a, it was just a different, a different time and a different setup. So you know, it, it's one of these things I don't think translates very well to modern WWE, and they've kind of tried to get away from it at times and then end up going back to it. And it's just, I don't know. It's very, it is a very strange, uh, you know, setup. But I I do think the, the current setup where it's all brand versus brand and they have all these like champion versus champion matches for nothing, I think really does not work because, you know, nobody on earth cares about brand versus brand. So, you know, that's, I think, a big, big part of the problem too. Because um, they, I mean, they change up who's on each brand changes every two seconds anyway. So it's like, you know, you get these situations where, you know, four of the five people in the Raw brand on the, you know, the Raw elimination match side have all just been on SmackDown a month ago. And it's like, it just feels fucking stupid. Yeah. But yeah. They're,
1: to make, they're trying to give it stakes, but actually the stakes somehow devalue it even further.
0: Yeah. Like, there, it just doesn't feel like there is any. Because, like, who really cares that Raw beats SmackDown, right? It doesn't lead to anything for Raw, you know? It just it's very it just doesn't work at all but back to 87 I guess we get uh the the, the heels come out at first to the generic king music for King Harley race uh, if you don't know what that is it's the exact same music Jerry the King lawler uses to this day uh, and then hockey talk man uh, gets his own entrance for his theme music and then the promo for the Bayface team features Ricky Steamboat making like generic karate noises just kind of funny uh, Jim Duggan He's promising payback for Harley Race for hitting him with his own 2x4. Uh, tough guy. And then a fashionably late Randy Savage shows up to say nothing much interesting. And in fact, the audio gets caught, cut off at the end and I can't say I was that upset about it. Uh, we get some generic overdubbed theme music over what I assume was Ricky Steamboat's theme song because he's the first one out. Uh, and then Savage, like honky, gets his own entrance with his own famous theme song. So... Brutus Beefcake and Hercules, they do the first bit of wrestling in Survivor Series history. So there's your uh, trivia answer, I guess. Um, They don't do much. Then they lock up. uh, And then Beefcake Beefcake then struts around. And the crowd absolutely loves it. So, you know, they'd have to do a lot to get a crowd reaction in 1987. Um, Then at that point... Once they start going, though, it actually isn't a bad little exchange. Hercules... I don't know. I don't I don't know a ton about Hercules, but like he's one of these guys that I always you know, I would have thought of as not very good, I guess. But like I thought he looked good in this match. I don't know. Yeah, he
1: had his moments, like just yeah. generally in his run in the WWF. But what would happen often is is that he'd kind of come quite stagnant quite quickly. Mm. So he would never be able to sustain like a heel push or a face push. But I always feel he, he, he had potential. Yeah. Um but never quite good. realized.
0: He, he, he looked good in this match to me. Uh Beefcake ends up getting Hercules in a sleeper. Uh, the other heels all run in the ring and he ends up cleaning house on them all with hip tosses. And then we get the first Survivor Series elimination history. Another trivia answer, a super lame double countout. Duggan and Race, the first of like 500 double countouts to come at Survivor Series. Uh, Duggan and Race brawl at ringside. They are both eliminated. Uh, On the upside though, I got both of them out of the match. And Harley Race especially at this point looks super slow. And when he came in, he grounded the match to a halt. Now, I don't know how he hung on for like three more years after this. But to be fair, he after he left the WWF at the uh, very beginning of 89, he never really wrestled full-time again before his retirement. So, uh, you know.
1: When he was brought just, into the WWF, uh, WW, uh, WAF, sorry, he was um, opposite H- Hogan. Like, he still was able to put a good match or two together, to be fair to him, considering, as you said, he was... Yeah, you know, he'd been wrestling for years by that point. But yeah, he he yeah, how he managed to keep going after that was uh yeah, strange.
0: Uh Brutus ends up blind blind tagging himself in while Savage is finding Ron Bass. He immediately nails Bass with a high knee and pins him. So that makes it four to three Bay faces now. That was actually a very well timed spot. Like I thought he he got the tag and he basically charged right in and hit him with the knee before Bass could even really notice that he was coming. So I don't know, Brutus Beefcake, another guy who I always think of it as being bad. I thought he was actually pretty good in this match.
1: Yeah, I think he gets an unfair shake sometimes. But actually, I, I've put down here in my notes that I made as going along, like he was very over during this time period. Like he was yeah. actually very good as part of the, the Dream Team tag team before that. Like he was, yeah. he was he was serviceable and Valentine did a lot of the work. But when he turned babyface, like the fans loved him. And he was probably top uh, top three or five in the company at times. Like he was, he was kind of up there really.
0: Yeah. Uh, I feel like he gets a lot of shit mostly for his WCW run where he was horrible and not over at all, but uh, you know, mid-80s WWF, he was... To be, un-
1: uh, to be understood. Yeah, to be understood.
0: Now, I do always like that his finisher uh, was the high knee when he was the booty man in WCW, because get it, the high knee. Ah. But yes. Um, the match gets very boring, though, at this point. Hockey Tonk Man very slowly pounds away on Beefcake, uh, Brutus almost starts making a comeback, but Danny Davis, not the OVW Danny Davis, the uh the the referee Danny Davis, who also was uh Mr. X at times when he was also a ref. Um, he kinda hits into Beefcake when he bounces in the ropes in front of him, and then Honky hits the shake, rattle and roll, which is just a normal ass right neck breaker. That's his finisher, and that gets the pen. Uh Brutus kicks out right at three. That was kind of funny, I thought. But we're back to even, three on three. Uh, and this is like, again, it just gets so boring here. Hercules has a very long headlock on Savage. He finally makes a hot tag to Ricky Steamboat. That, at least, is a pretty entertaining hot tag. Uh, he hits a flying, uh, oh, I've, I've, I'm sorry, I missed elimination. Jake Roberts, uh, I guess, was feuding with Danny Davis at this point. hit a DAT on him to eliminate him, so that gave the faces a three on two advantage. Uh, and that's when it got boring after that. But then, but uh, Steamboat hits a flying chop on Hercules. He body slams him. He tags in Randy Savage, who drops the big elbow on Hercules to eliminate him. So it's now Honky Talk Man against the world. So it's now three on one. Uh, Savage just beats the crap out of him with punches. He misses a charge in the corner, though, so Honky could take back over. Steamboat tags in, quickly takes it to Honky. Then he tags in Jake the Snake. Crowd doesn't care about the weird. I mean, the it was weird. Like, I thought at first the crowd was surprisingly into the weird psychology of three baby faces taking turns beating the crap out of a single heel. Maybe they just really wanted to see Hockey Talk Man get his ass kicked so bad that they were they were fine with it. But after after a little bit, they do they do something get like a little less fired up than they were earlier in the match. So maybe the the weirdness of it does, does finally start to uh, you know I guess uh, make a difference. But uh, Honky goes over the top rope from Atomic Drop from Savage. He then takes a walk and lets himself get counted out for the final elimination. So uh, couldn't let him get pinned, I guess, because he's the IFC champion. But still, kind of a stupid ending. It was yeah. all right.
1: Yeah, I I liked it. I I agree with you though. I've noted down the fact that there was um quite long kind of rest spots, which for a, a multi man match where you expect to like have action kind of going on at all times, yeah. so you can freshen people up. And I kind of get that they were building towards hot tags because so you had like some of the best hot tags, like in in you know Steamboat's a great hot tag and Savage a great hot tag, and you know, you're building up towards that. But what that means is that you have big chunks of the match that are just really boring. Uh-huh. um i like the fact that davis was fodder for the ddt he needed someone to take a ddt so davis has kind of used his purpose at this point i would say so therefore get get rid of him um i also you know i liked the ending in some ways because it does protect honky-tonk man but the, the fans seemed happy that yeah you were seeing you know your three big baby faces kind of beating down the hill but he still gets away and can be smarmy about it in the end as well so it kind of worked but um it, yeah it is um yeah just just long very long
0: yeah, I mean, this This felt longer than 26 minutes, honestly. Um, so, you know, it was all right. It was kind of boring at times. The crowd was super into it, though, so that always counts for something. And Steamboat and Savage, you know, both looked good. Beefcake looked good, too, as I mentioned. Hercules was the standout for sure on a kind of weak heel team. Uh, I went two and three quarters, you know. Nothing you got to go anywhere to watch. Uh, it's nothing that I would even call fine, but I would say it was all right. You know, not slightly above average, let's say.
1: Yeah, as I say, I'm not. I'm not always someone to give star ratings necessarily because I never, I've never done it, and therefore, like, it's always a bit of a thing that I struggle to get my head around. But like, I would say, yeah, it's a sort of two two and a half. Sort of like, it's it's a very very average match. Crowd's really good. The characters really good in terms of the people who are there. Actually, the, the the face team kind of low key, really good when you look at like I know, obviously. You know, Jim Duggan and Bruce Befebitt get a bit of uh, flack from various parts of what they've done. But they are, you know, at that time period, they were both kind of over people. Uh, Savage, Steamboat and um, Roberts, of course, were huge, huge stars at that time. So therefore, again, it's kind of a, a low-key good team. Um, it is a bit weird, though, because you do have Savage, Steamboat and Roberts uh, teaming together a year after first Roberts and Steamboat. Uh, so first Roberts and Savage feuded with Steamboat. So that's kind of the, one of the other issues about Survivor Series is that suddenly you have these people together. I mean, apparently, Savage tried to end Steamboat's career just a, a year before, so or earlier that year. So it's, it's a strange kind of mixing of people that doesn't quite make sense, but it's kind of cool if you don't think about it too much.
0: So there you go. There's our first match. Uh, let's go over to 1990, which was our, the next show we got, uh, Survivor Series 1990, November 22nd. Uh, it was from the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut, a a claimed attendance of 16,000. Looking at the card, uh, the match we got here uh, was the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, Jim Duggan, the big boss man in Tugboat, beating the Natural Disasters, Earthquake, Dino Bravo, Haku and the Barbarian, in 1449. Um, I can't say anything really stands out, like, oh, I wish I'd gotten that. Maybe the Million Dollar Team against the Dream Team, to see the debut of the undertaker i did watch the entrance just to see it because i was like yeah that was uh kind of cool and you know this was the year they did the survivor of all survivors match um which ended up being just an excuse to have hogan and warrior you know win the match together but uh you know it was an interesting idea that i'm not sure really was that really worked that super well it did kind of affect the booking of everything else where like you Had to have guys in the it, it survive who you you know were willing to have lose in the end, so and the survivor the ultimate survivor match ended up going so quick, only went nine minutes. That uh, you know, I just don't know if that was really worth it. So, did they do that any other years, or was this the only year they did it?
1: No, trying... I, think, I think the problem was the um, it kind of you know, KFAB sort of thing kind of it kind of rips it apart a bit, doesn't it? Because, like, why is Hogan with Santana and Warrior. I mean, what's what's the what's the reasoning behind that necessarily? Oh, they're the yeah. good guys, are they? And they're the bad guys. It doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. And um, so yeah, it kind of it kind of revealed a bit too much, perhaps, in that kind of way. And they decided it didn't quite work. And like you said, it does it does effectively. It's all about just getting Hogan and Warrior together and then win. And it kind of you know, it's it's yeah, it it wasn't a great match, and it wasn't really the stuff that came before. It wasn't really worth it either. In terms of the matches I liked, I've, I've watched this uh, show a lot. I really liked the team. Well, not the match necessarily, but the team of the visionaries. They so had Rick Martell, mm. Warlord, Paul Roman, Hercules as power and glory. Yeah. And they clean swept the, the team they, they, they fought. And, you know, the Warlord's not great, but he's a, he's a, a specimen of a man. And then Roman and Hercules together, uh, power and glory was a great little team for that time. And Rick Martell was, you know, the arrogant model. Um, yeah, they were one of my favorite teams of all time when I look back at the sort of the teams over over, over the years. Um, really, really good, really, really good hill hill unit.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the the team they beat was uh, the team of the Vipers, which was Jake Roberts, Jimmy Snuka, and the Rockers. So, just a little note there. But yeah, the match we got here uh, this was you know during the gamers Earthquake feud. So basically, Earthquake debuted almost exactly one year earlier. Um, on an episode of Superstars, a pretty classic segment where Jimmy Hart picks somebody out of the crowd to sit on Dino Bravo's back while he did push-ups and you know Earthquake, John Tenta, this gigantic man sitting there in the crowd. All the fans are pointing like him, pick him, pick him. Uh so they pick him, and but this was a setup though. And the Ultimate Warrior comes out. He was feuding with Dino Bravo at the time. Uh he comes out to do the same thing. You know, but in you know Earthquake acts like he's gonna sit on his back, but then he just like butt splashes him and they leave the Warrior laying. Now, what I always found odd is this did not lead to any kind of big Warrior earthquake feud. It just led to some more Warrior versus Bravo uh, IC title matches at the uh, house shows towards the end of 89. you think Warrior wants some revenge on the guy who, like, you know, butts flashed him and left him laying, but uh, they never had a big feud together. They just had three matches total. A They finally had a house show IC defense in March 1990, they had two dark matches at the Wrestling Challenge tapings, uh, two different Wrestling Challenge tapings in early '91. But Earthquake instead of feuding with Warrior would have this big signature feud with Hulk Hogan uh, in 1990, which was Warrior's uh, WWF title reindeer, obviously. But basically, very simple feud. Earthquake jumped Hogan on an episode of the Brother Love Show in May of 1990, uh, one of those you know WWF talk shows on a show, and the feud apparently did really good business for WWF. Uh, on the house show circuit that year. So, you know, they met in a singles match at SummerSlam. Hogan won it via Countout, which led to some more big house show matches throughout the fall. And this Survivor Series match, essentially the last gasp of the feud here. Uh, To make things a little more confusing, Earthquake's future WWF Tag Team title partner Typhoon is on the other team, even though they'd eventually take on the team name of the Natural Disasters themselves. So... little confusing there. Oh, someone's drilling outside. That's very loud. (laughs) sorry about that if you can hear that, folks. Uh, But, yes, we're actually still many months away from that turn. Uh, Tugboat wouldn't turn heel and, uh, you know, and change over to Typhoon until May of 91. The the thing thing that was always kind of weird about that team is, you know, obviously Tugboat turns heel, he becomes Typhoon, they team up together, but they actually spent very little time as heels together because they the, the team turned babyface in early ninety two. So they spent more more time together as faces. So I always thought that, that natural disaster's face run was a little weird. It's like
1: Yeah, they, you weird. feel like um having two men sort of what, you know, four hundred pounds, they just are naturally gonna be good heels. You know, yeah, can just you know squash teams and do, you know, be bullies and stuff like that so yeah, like as much as I like I mean, I love Earthquake. To be fair, I thought John Tenta is a great wrestler when he was, um, you know, at, the, at his peak. I'm not a massive fan of tugboat, to be fair, but as a, <laughs> as a team, you could, you could kind of hide, you could kind of hide a lot of his weaknesses behind you know what what, what John Tenta could do. But yeah, so to so have him as the, the babyface tag team was 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 not not using them to their best but they were also um during a time when you know that heyday of the wwf uh, tag team division had kind of died off a little bit and yeah there's still some good teams around don't get me wrong but you know if you're heading into 92 and 93 if you look at what they had compared to say those teams they had in the 97 and 98 uh, so, uh, 87 and 88, 88 even um tag survivor series matches they just lost so many of those teams you know teams have moved on teams have split up so they didn't have much to work with
0: yeah And that that was their big big few with Money, Inc., basically. That's how they turned faces. Jimmy Hart turned on them for uh, the team at DiBiase and IRS. And I don't know. I, I can't imagine anyone ever being a Money, Inc. fan. I mean, just such a boring team. But who knows? Uh not much of note, though, from the pre-match interview here from the Hulkamaniacs. I don't know. Do you have anything you want to say about
1: that? Was kind of just no, not you? To be fair, I'll, I'll, yeah. In terms of like sort of uh, time pressures, I kind of like. I think I just glossed over slightly the, the the introductions there because I was a little bit like sort of getting to the match really. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, often what happened was it was like a generic heel, generic babyface, and that was kind of what you had. You didn't really sort of you weren't going to get any inspired commentary necessarily about what was going to happen next.
0: Uh. Tugbo and his toot toot theme song got a surprisingly big pop. He was uh, quite over here, I guess, from being the, the storyline where he was Hulk Hogan's friend who helped bring him back to the company or whatever. Um Jim Duggan has yellow ribbons wrapped around his two by four. It's some kind of tribute to the troops, uh the Gulf War is starting, I guess. You know. America's bombing somebody, we usually are. <laughs> uh Hogan's pop, enormous as well. Enormous pop for Hogan, I have to say that.
1: Yeah, he's been on uh, top for six years. He's, like, he's been basically on top for six years as well, which is like, it's, that's what's crazy about it is that yeah. they're still maintaining that kind of level of, of passion and, and joy like, to see him. Yeah, um, I mean, he,
0: and he, he obviously lost to Warrior at WrestleMania earlier that year, but that did not do anything to, if anything, that helped his popularity or something. It was very, very strange. Uh, you know, I don't know. He, people always said he got more over from that than Warrior did. And, you know, Warrior himself, you know, really kind of was flopping his champion at this point especially at the house shows. So Uh, Duggan and Haku start off here. Not much interesting happens. Duggan eventually gets cut off. The heels start tagging and out to beat on him, but he makes a, I don't know, a hot ish tag to boss man. Cause like boss man does like a couple moves and then gets cut off too. But then he just puts Haku away immediately with uh, the boss man slam for the first elimination. So, was a little bit of a yeah, it felt scene. very
1: underwhelming. I, yeah. I, I made a note of that. It just like it, it kind of. I think you mentioned the, the the high knee in the first one, where it was really nicely set up, and therefore you can go, okay, a man gets kneed in the face, therefore he gets pinned. Fine, I can deal with that. And admittedly, as a boss, you know, boss man slam kind of thing, he did, he did, a, he did a move that would have beaten someone, but just something about the setup.
0: All right, folks, we got cut off, so a little bit of an awkward transition here. But uh, after the after uh, boss man pinned Haku, it was four three Hulkamaniacs. Earthquake comes in, Duggan can't do much of anything with him uh, for quite a bit, but then he finally seems to be kind of getting somewhere. He hits a few shoulder blocks in a row. He's not actually knocking him down, but he's, like, stunning him. But then as soon as he backs up on the ropes again to do another one, uh, Jimmy Hart pulls down the top rope, sending him flying out of the ring, which I thought was both a well, a kind of well-timed interference spot. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty... Yeah, pretty damn well timed. On the other hand, it kind of made no sense because it was right around the ref. Even the announcers were like, "How is that not DQ?" Uh, Duggan, you know, grabs his two by four. He chases Jimmy Hart around the ring. He gets back in the ring. He hits. He hits uh, earthquake with the two by four a couple of times, and that is a disqualification. So Duggan is eliminated, and it is now three on three.
1: Yeah, I'll be. I'll be honest with you. I, I watch these kind of uh, in reverse order. Just, just for, for, for quirk of fate, really. And I just remember sitting here watching this, being like, "I know this is late on in Duggan's career in WF. How is he gonna get out of getting pinned?" Yeah, um, because it, it was basically every single uh, Survivor Series, there was <laughs> yeah he'd find a way to basically get eliminated by count out or DQ'd, and yeah, hitting an earthquake with a two by is one way.
0: Uh, Hogan comes in, he cleans house on all three guys. He, uh, ever the sportsman, he rakes earthquake's eyes and then slams him without much effort. Uh, he then small packages Dino Bravo for the pin out of nowhere. When the fuck have you ever seen Hulk Hogan pin someone with a flash cradle?
1: That The was greatest kidding. spot I've ever <laughs> seen. No, 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 no. no, no. But, no it was very much I – I, I genuinely laughed out loud. I just I just didn't remember it. Yeah, I, it was, I was like, what the, the fuck? Wasn't the best. It wasn't the best small pack, package, to be fair. It wasn't yeah. the tightest. But you know you're giving props for trying. <laughs> it was like, jeez.
0: But yeah, so now it's three to two. Uh, Barbarian kicks Bossman the back from the apron while Bossman is trying to fight Earthquake, and that lets Earthquake drop a pair of elbows on him for the pin. Uh, that takes us back to two to two. Hulk comes right back in. He goes at Earthquake again. That goes on for a while, and then we finally get the Earthquake versus Tugboat big fat guy showdown. But it lasts for like two seconds. Because that coward Hogan pulls Earthquake out of the ring from behind. Uh, they all brawl out to the floor. Earthquake rams Hogan's back into the ring post. And we get a, another super lame double count out for Earthquake and Tugboat. And that leaves us with just Hogan and Barbarian. Uh, not the most exciting final two guys. Because, you know, you can probably guess what happens from there. Barbarian beats down Hogan. Hits a big pile driver on him. The pile Driver looked kind of good, actually. But that just beats on him for what feels like an eternity. It's a weak flying clothesline off the top. Hogan kicks out too and hulks up and puts Barbarian away with the usual for the win. Um, oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, what, what, what I would say, like, is um, I was surprised by how long Barbarian was on top, actually, because in my head, I was like, okay, so the match is going to finish in the next minute or so. He's going to hit a big move. Uh, Hogan's going to hulk up. But actually, he did beat him. Mean, it wasn't the most exciting beatdown ever, but, like, to, to have them in the ring together for... As long as they were, I was kind of surprised, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's weird is he's not that far away from jumping at WCW. So, I mean, I guess like a, I guess still like another year and a half. Yeah.
1: I also yeah. quite enjoyed before tugboat was eliminated. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon basically tugboat had been so um, pointless in the match up to that point that Gorilla Monsoon actually forgot he was there because at some point I'm pretty sure he went, "Oh, Hogan's left on his own," and then uh, he had to be reminded that tugboat was actually on the uh, on the ring apron at that point waiting for a tag. So it sort of sums up his. Uh, his involvement in the match.
0: Um, so that's that's that, I guess, for uh, this match. You know, this started out pretty fun, but really lost steam by the end. And the Earthquake versus Tugboat showdown only lasting like two seconds total was just kind of stupid. I don't know. I guess I yeah. just didn't trust Tugboat to do anything, but it was like, it felt like the entire match was building to that. And then they get to it and it's over before you like, yeah. you
1: blink. There are, there are probably better matches to, 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 to do to, to to see this. But if you do watch it, what you will see is, I mean, Earthquake has some great spots in it, I think, as well, that we sort of glossed over a little bit. Like, I like the fact that at the start he was being held back by the other heels. But also as the match was going on, he hits Hogan with a great power slam out the corner. And he also does a, a spot, I think he did it quite a few times on the house shows, but basically Big Boss Man came off the top rope and he caught him in midair and slammed him, which just showed how you know, impressive uh, specimen, I guess he was, in terms of just the ability to catch a man of that size and then dump Mm -hmm. him. Um, But yeah, ultimately, he uh, gets counted out. Hogan wins, you know, no surprises there. Uh,
0: But yeah, you know, this, I I went two and a half. I thought it was average. Uh, Nothing's going to offend you or anything like that, but I can't really recommend watching it that strongly either. And uh, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh no, sorry, I was just just briefing in. Um uh, just basically the idea that um I I'm I'm kind of with you there in some ways. I just think it's it wasn't as good as the first one. The first one yeah. was a better and more interesting first, thing. Probably because the teams were just better, like the people who were there. Mainly the, the mainly the, the the face team. The face team were more popular, more interesting people, better wrestlers, all those things. This mm-hmm. was just always gonna end up with Hogan winning.
0: Yeah. Um The other thing about the 1990 Survivor Series I have to mention is this is the fucking Gobbledygooker show. So when you think about it, how fucking weird is it? There's been two separate Survivor Series shows now built around eggs. The giant egg here and the golden egg or whatever for this year, Just very strange.
1: Yeah, I follow people on Twitter. I don't actually read much about what's happening in in wrestling at the moment in terms of WWE, so therefore I've seen lots of pictures and I've seen lots of tweets, but I have no idea about the egg. I've seen know, it. I, I just, I, I've got no idea what that was. I sort of about? have.
0: I really don't know either,
1: honestly. So confusing. Uh,
0: yeah. So we skip ahead now all the way. The next show we got on the randomizer was 1998. So that is our next uh, our next randomly selected show. So this is a pretty famous show. This is the Deadly Game Tournament show, uh, November 15th, 1998, from the Keel Center in St. Louis, Missouri and attendance of 19,322. So uh, the match we got here was a first-round match in the Deadly Game Tournament for the WWF title. Steve Austin defeats the big boss fan by DQ in 320. Yes, three minutes and 20 seconds, so one of two very short matches we got here on this show. Uh, two straight big boss fan matches, too, because we got boss fan with the 1991. Uh But yeah, this is the WWF title tournament. So if you don't remember this, I'll give you the rundown of why we were having a one-night, 14-man tournament for the WWF title. So Undertaker and Kane, they simultaneously simultaneously pinned Steve Austin in a triple threat match for the title at Breakdown in Your House in September of 98. Uh, The next month, they were having a singles match between the two of them to determine who the champion was. And Steve Austin was special guest referee. Uh, he was basically required to name a winner or else Vince would fire him. He stunned both guys and left them laying. So Vince did fire him. Uh, Shane McMahon reinstated him, which uh, resulted in Vince like disowning him and kicking him down to referee, uh, you know, which Shane had actually been a referee. You could see him at ringside in that 1990 Survivor Series we just talked about as like a ringside referee. But yeah. Um, this all turned out to be a weird, big conspiracy, uh, you know, because Vince Russo is booking after all. And Shane McMahon would end up turning on Steve Austin later on uh, on this Survivor Series night to, you know, help Mankind beat him. And then that would also turn out to be a conspiracy too because uh, then everybody would turn on Mankind in the finals against The Rock, who would be revealed to be the real corporate champion. Um, but yeah, this whole deadly game tournament on this show... Little Vince Shane uh, soap opera swerve, probably the best stuff Vince Russo ever booked. Uh, it helped a lot that it came before the McMahon feuding and teaming up against stuff became such a huge cliche. Like this was the first version of it, so it didn't it, we hadn't yet been a uh, you know, I guess uh, you know we hadn't yet been like exposed to it over and over and over and over again to the point where it, it didn't make any fucking. You know, it didn't do anything to us by that point.
1: It started to get a little bit silly. I think that I'd forgotten how we'd got to this tournament. So the whole double pinning stuff, that was where you had started to move away a little bit, I guess, from what was prime kind of Vince uh, and Austin, but like, it still had legs in some ways and the characters were still, you know, good enough and big enough and kind of Mm -hmm. engaging enough that actually, yeah, fair enough. Like it was, it was good, but yeah.
0: And it um, set up Austin and this set up Austin and rock, obviously, which that was really good. The problem, obviously with what, where Vince Russo really goes off the rails is the start is the fucking undertaker's too much into his character And he's stalking Vince McMahon, but then it turns out Vince McMahon was behind the whole time. Like that is rare where 1999 and Vince Russo really just fucking starts to go completely off the rails. Uh, And there's a lot of Vince Shane drama in that too, where Shane turns on him and takes over the corporation. And then it turns out that he was actually in, Vince was in on it the whole time and, you know, they merged to form the corporate ministry and da, da, da. It's just, it gets really stupid in like yeah. early '99.
1: The, cl- the classic uh, feud going on too long or storyline yeah. going on too long, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's happening with WWE at the same time, the NWO, but like the idea of Vince McMahon as the big bad just needed to die off at that point. But obviously, yeah.
0: Didn't. They did kill it off, I get, July '99 when they had, uh, you know, Austin. Uh, I guess beat the Undertaker in a match where Vince had to leave, but then he then he came back as a bay face weirdly, and then he turned heel again at uh, WrestleMania 2000, and yeah, it just kind of went on forever at that point. Uh, and you know, I, I I don't know, like when were we finally free of Vince as a regular heel character? Probably not until like, I mean, sporadically he would disappear, but I don't think he would be gone for good until about like 2008 or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was really because he had the whole DX long, in 2000. Yeah, the DX feud in two thousand six where he was still a top heel. So I don't I don't know. That might be his last big feud. Okay. Oh no. Is that his last big feud? Maybe. No, because he did the Bobby Lashley feud in two thousand seven. Um I feel like he feuded with Cena. I don't know. Oh, He's he feuded with a bunch of people. So it did take a long fucking time. Um but yeah, the you know but as far as this, like, like you said er, way earlier, like this felt like it at least was building to this, you know, like it felt like the fall of 98 was really building up to this between all the stuff of Mankind, where like Mankind was like Vince's weird adopted son, but the fans also liked him. And then, you know, they they finally blew that off of Vince turning on him. Um, you know, just it felt like a big moment, this show. Yeah, so it it's a rare, like...
1: rare, a rare example of like a swerve that works. Yeah. Like it, it did, you know, it, it built, yeah you know, and it, and it and it put heat on the right people. Like it made people go, oh, you know, I'm really angry at Vince and The Rock and, you know, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it did its job. And it's so, a, um, I've sort of put here, I remember like not remembering much about the matches themselves because I don't think match quality really mattered. Yeah. It was all about like the sort of stage by stage. And then, you know, at the end of it, like, like, I don't want to compare it to like, you know, good films or if that, but like you can kind of go back and go, oh, okay, so when this happened, this is why it was happening. And then when this happened, this is why it was happening. Cause yeah, you know, boss man for Austin. And then obviously fought the rock as well in the first round and da, 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 And there's yeah. loads of little moving pieces. You go, oh, okay. That's what's happened.
0: Yeah. So let me explain that really quickly. So basically, um, the first round, they, so Vince gives mankind a mystery opponent, which turned out to be drain Gill, a longtime job returning. And, you know, that made sense since Vince was, uh, still pertained to be on Mankind's side at that point. Um, if people are wondering why it's a fourteen-man tournament, by the way, Undertaker and Kane both got a bye to the quarterfinals. That also made sense because they both pinned the champion. So you know that 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 you know that that part of it made sense too. Austin fought Boss Man the first round, the match we're about to get into, and then Rock was supposed to face Triple H in the first round, and Vince replaced him with the Big Boss Man, and they had Boss Man basically charge him and get cradled by the Rock and get pinned in three seconds. And the idea was the that was like. Vince actually telling Bossman to go out there and lose to the rock. So in hindsight, it was like, he was giving rock an easy path, you know, which we didn't know at the time. We thought they were, they, Vince was basically pretending he hated the rock because, Oh, you're the people's champion. I hate the people. So, but yeah, that turned out to obviously be a conspiracy. So yeah, it was a, a rare example of like swerve booking and conspiracy booking actually working. And then Russo would go on to book 5,000 more of these things that didn't make any sense and didn't work at all. So you know, starting, like I said, in the very next year with all the, the corporate ministry bullshit. And, uh, you know, Vince is the higher power. Uh, as far as matches I would have liked to get, I mean, it would have been cool to get that Mankind and Austin match where Shane turns on Austin. would have been cool to get the Rock and Mankind final. Those are really the only two matches on this card that, that are probably worth getting. Um, yeah, there match
1: be- better matches, I'm sure, on the, on the thing. But um, I did quite like getting the... He does. I know. I forgot. You know, the Dwayne Gill match happens first. if I remember rightly, but this is quite early on, and like, it's nice because it sort of sets the narrative in play. You know, basically, this is like him setting one of his hitmen on on Austin and trying to wipe out someone so the mankind can go through. And da, 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 da. so, you know, it, yeah. it was um, it was cool to see the start of it. I did actually weirdly like it, even though it was only about three minutes long and not a very good match.
0: Uh, uh, so Bossman he tries to attack Austin as he's making his entrance. Pretty much gets his ass kicked. Austin throws him hard in the steps throws him back in the ring, beats on him some more as the bell rings, but Bossman quickly comes back with a low blow right in front of the ref, which <laughs> JR correctly points out should be a DQ, but isn't for some reason. Uh, Lawler implies the ref did not DQ Bossman because he works for Vince McMahon, uh, but like then he does DQ him later, so that doesn't really make any sense. Um, they just do a bunch of punching and kicking, not much interesting here, but the heat is, of course, off the charts. Uh, just absolutely insane because it's Steve Austin in, in uh, nineteen ninety eight. Um, they keep cutting to a split screen with Vince and watching with the Stooges, including Sergeant Slaughter, who I guess is uh, still Commissioner at this point, but he's about to get replaced by Shawn Michaels, very shortly. If short you
1: ever wanted to know that your match wasn't that important, like in terms of the in ring, have your pay per view match have like split screen with <laughs> what's happening backstage. Exactly
0: then Austin throws Bossman on the outside. Bossman just suddenly hits him with his nightstick uh, for the DQ after three minutes. Vince and company are happy about this, I guess, uh, thinking it's fine for Austin to get killed with the nightstick, even though it obviously means Austin advances in the tournament. Uh, he would, Austin would end up getting a bye in the semifinals. Now, this made no sense. So X-Pac and Regal go to a double count in their first-round match. Vince comes out to try to restart it. X-Pac is deemed unable to continue because regal kicked his ass now vince is the owner and chairman of the company why can't he just declare that means regal goes through uh since regal was able to continue and, and xbox wasn't why would that give austin a buy it's very bizarre but it was one of these things where like where, so, one of these things where, one of the things i've always hated about the the heel gm the heel owner you know the heel authority figure gimmick is like sometimes there are like weird restraints on their power that make no sense and sometimes there aren't right and you know the because the entire thing when you really think about it makes no sense that the authority figure uh could be i mean they, they should be able to just fire the guy or you know yeah. just you could, keep you, having, put,
1: you could put every barrier in front of them that you want yeah. you, you, you know you could you could restart every match until your person wins you know you can yeah yeah you know, do what you want is so yeah it doesn't make much sense i remember that match um at the pac winning regal match being very very odd yeah. i haven't watched it since to be fair but i still see- remember yeah the ending in particular like the way it ended it did seem very very like something hadn't quite gone to plan in some ways but you know i guess it was around time the regal was really struggling if i remember rightly
0: so Regal was in the, the stage. So Regal was—he's a man, <laughs> such a
1: man. I mean, it's a, a great a song. It's not a great. Game, of
0: <laughs> but it was weird because, like, so he's in this real man's man gimmick, uh, you know, this blue-collar hard hat gimmick, and then he's coming out and, like, you know, I don't think, uh, like, he's he's mad that X Pac is European champion because he's not European. It was like a very weird mixed message to Americans, especially because you know. God bless you, Europeans. We, your, your, your image is not uh, hard hat construction worker <laughs> here to Americans. Nice. No, uh, we'll and Regal, Regal comes back, you know, obviously in two years after, you know, his, he has to go to rehab for his drug problem, which you kind of talked about. And then he goes, he has a weird little stint in WCW that, I, again, that I always forget he went back there in 99. Uh, but he comes back in, to, to WWF in late 2000. And that obviously is the far more famous William Regal run, where he's, you know, the, the snobby Brit and he's mad that al snow is european champion and just that gimmick makes a lot more sense to be mad that uh some american is european champion here they're like oh he's mad xbox is european champion i'm like why like he's doesn't he have a fucking backhoe to to <laughs> to operate like why does he care who the european champion is there's very weird messages with this gimmick uh but yeah the match itself here you know not much of a match at all here i was generous and gave it a single star Two guys punching each other for three minutes until a stupid DQ. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean,
1: I, I liked Big Boss Man. Sort of has the sort of offense that kind of makes this match work in some ways, as in he's quite physical and he kind of you know the the punch up stiffest, but they are they are kind of they, they look physical and his moves look physical and to so that. However, he did use quite a few chin locks for a very short store. Sorry, very, very very short match, which obviously weren't the most exciting, but kind of made sense because he was trying to rough someone up. I did love the ending though. I did love the fact that he just kinda of went, you yeah, know, well, fuck it. I'm just gonna hit him. <laughs> and then yeah, that 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 was effectively it. You know, it kinda of, it kinda of, kind of, you know, all we had to do really was, you know, cause him problems, cause him some damage and hopefully make it hard for him to get through to the next round. So yeah, it was uh it wasn't a great match, but I did quite enjoy it. And and McMahon at the end laughing as the split screens on, I, I also loved, because, again it just in terms of like creating heat on a character, yeah, it was uh it was it was produced really well, I thought.
0: Uh, so there you go. So there's your deadly game '98 uh, tournament there. So we move forward again to the year 2000. This time, so not that forward. Uh, it was weird. We got all these in clusters: the 87, 90, then 98, 2000, 2003, and then suddenly 2016. But I guess that's a randomizer for you. Uh, this show took place November 19, 2000, the Ice Palace in Tampa, Florida. Um, oh, this is kind of a weird show, right? It's kind of I feel like you're kind of reaching the end of a peak here where, you know, the WF made some very strange booking decisions around this time that I think really started to hurt them. Obviously they recover and have a great, uh, WrestleMania 2017 but then they kind of go back right back in the doldrums again. And then, you know, really the, uh, the, the fucking invasion that goes horribly is like the, the real end of the era, I guess. But, you know, you can start to see some signs here on this show where like, you know, it seemed like some guys are running in place and there's some very bizarre decisions based around uh, Rikishi being the guy to run over Austin, which we'll get into here because we got a lot. You know, it's the match we got here, which was The Rock defeating Rikishi in 13 minutes exactly. That's the match we got. Uh, looking over the card, I don't know if there's anything I would have rather gotten. I mean, this card is really not very good. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe Kane and Jericho would have been interesting to watch. Uh, I don't know. I mean... Certainly don't not upset we didn't get that Austin Triple H match that goes 35 minutes and features Austin murdering him with a, a fucking forklift at the end and then some Triple H somehow surviving, which never made any sense. And uh, you know, probably the worst match the two of them ever had. So
1: I don't know. I do remember the ending of the Kurt Angle Undertaker match. Oh, the Undertaker fake thing. angle. In yeah, I don't know if it's a good match in and of itself, but I just I, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that just to remind myself of that. Cause I remember watching it at the time and being like you know it, it did completely confuse me. I was like, how's, how's this worked out? And then obviously, it turns out that it was his brother, of course. And yeah, so yeah. That, that was quite cool. And and maybe seeing the um, uh, sort of like Benoit, Malenko, Guerro, and Saturn together, perhaps in yeah, the early, have cool. match might have been all right, but again, uh, it, yeah, not, nothing matched really in some ways.
0: Um, Eric, Eric Engel was like, I remember I used to play Extreme Warfare Deluxe as a kid, and he was always in these fucking mods because of this one appearance, which I thought was funny, but. Eric, Kurt Angle's brother, Eric. Um, but yeah, so the Matthew got here rocking Rikishi. A lot of backstory here. So, Rikishi was revealed as the man who ran over Stone Cold in Survivor Series 99. Now, that made no fucking sense. That was one of these decisions where it's like, okay, a, a good booking run for the WWF was coming to an end here. Uh, Rikishi had barely been on TV by Survivor Series 99 in his new Rikishi Fatu gimmick. He had only appeared on Jacked you know, from the old jacked and metal that syndicated shows that nobody watched. And one appearance on Sunday Night Heat before Survivor Series. But he claimed, he quote, did it for The Rock. Now that turned out to be yet another swerve. Russo, of course, gone by this point. But I guess the the uh, the memory of Russo here. Uh, instead, he was paid off by the guy everyone figured did it in the first place. Triple H. Uh... As part of this, though, before he re- was revealed as being paid off by Triple H, so The Rock was defend- defending the WF title against Kurt Angle at no mercy, and Rikishi, accidentally on purpose, cost Rock that match. He, like, accidentally hit him with a couple moves, and then Angle won the title. Now, that I always found to be a really weird part of the story because Rikishi was working for Triple H the whole time. Why did he help Kurt Angle? Because that was a guy who Hunter had been feuding with for months over his wife, at that point, and he was not in on this conspiracy, why did he help Kurt Angle win the title from The Rock? Now, sure, Triple H hates The Rock, but he hated Kurt more at the time, if anything. It was just a very, very bizarre part of the story, where I'm like, why, why would Kurt Angle do that? I mean, why, I mean, why would Rikishi do that? Why would Rikishi Hunter want Angle to win the belt from The Rock? It was very weird. They never really explained that at all. Uh, but he did cost The Rock the title, and give him another reason to be mad at him, so here we are. Now, Rikishi's heel turn, just one of the most confounding parts of this era. I mean, you'd have this guy who's this pretty fun mid-car babyface, right? Even upper mid-car. I mean, he was IC champion. He would—he did, like... Uh, I remember he had a big feud in the summer of 2000 with Val Venus. Where they had a famous cage match where, you know, with the big butt, the uh, elbow drop from Rikishi off the cage. Or everybody was like, what the fuck? Um, but the heel turn was just so weird. You take this... You have this gimmick where you have a fun-loving... A uh, giant Samoan guy in a thong, which is re- does not sound like a gimmick that should be successful, but it's weirdly successful. The fans love him. And you take him and just make him a generic bad man. I mean, they never explained why he did any of this. He just, you know, just suddenly had a, a theme song talking about what a bad man he was. <laughs> I mean, it's literally his theme song. Ah, bad man. Ha <laughs> ha. Like, that's the theme. <laughs> it was like one of the worst theme, one of the stupidest theme songs I think I've ever heard. And but they never explain why he did any of this. They never explain why he was suddenly a bad guy. Uh, which I guess they don't for lots of heel turns, but it just never it's like, how did this like fun loving uh guy who likes to rub his ass in people's faces turn out to be this like, you know, uh fucking murderer for hire who right I mean he ran the man over the car. He was trying to kill him.
1: They had, to uh, do, they had to do something more, didn't they? At the end of the day, they had to be very, very clear about, like, this is the reason why he did what he did. I was yeah. kind of wondering, like, because I feel a bit like when I talked about the natural disasters earlier, like, to me, Rikishi could be a good heel. Because, you know, generally, you know, you're a big monster of the month type of guy who could he, you know, bully people. And I stuff, will say he worked, well. he worked well in Ring as a heel here. I, thought, yeah, I was just wondering, like, what was his upper limit almost? Like, the, the storyline yeah. is so bad that obviously it kind of kneecapped him completely. And I, I, in my head, I only ever remember The Rock's uh, promo where it's like, I did it for The Rock, I did it for the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, basically, basically mocks him yeah. for what he said. And that's all I ever think about. But yeah. I mean, in my head, I'm like, he had a run of about maybe four or five months. It wasn't a long run as a heel. I, he, no. he turned again fairly quickly and then got injured, if I remember rightly. I was sort of like yeah. having a bit of a look. So I really don't remember him as a heel. But he could have been a good heel. But yeah. it was just so badly done. It's
0: just like, and he's at this point. Yeah, he's just a big, heel, fat guy in a thong. Still, doesn't work as well. It doesn't work at all, no matter how many times the theme song tells us he's a bad man, and just yeah, just very bizarre. So, and, and and to our point, I guess he gets no reaction coming out. I mean, think about this. He has been put over as. A guy who almost murdered the top base in, co- in the company, and then tried to set up the other top base of the company for that murder, and or attempted murder, and the crowd reacts to him with complete silence.
1: Yeah, they went all out to try and make him work as well. Like, if you look at, he worked with, uh, he fought Austin the last pay per view before this yeah. one. So therefore, you got Austin, obviously, you got Rock. He's part of Triple H. So you think, you know, he's, he's he's with all the people that you need to do to get reactions. And yeah, I put little to no reaction. I think little was charitable.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, So Rock runs right out to start and beats up Rikishi. He gets a chair, tries to use it on, but the ref pulls it out of his hands, which lets Rikishi uh, super kick him in the face to cut him off. Now, what really helps this match a lot, I thought Rikishi was good in his role, but Rock's over-the-top selling. Now, Rock could sell too much for some guys, right? There were times where his over-the-top selling would come off like hokey or like a detriment. When he's in there with like this big dude, Rikishi, the over-the-top selling really works. I mean, it looks like... At one point, he takes a simple uh, sidewalk slam, like he just got blasted in the chest with a shotgun or something, and like he's convulsing on every little kick and stomp from Rikishi, and it really works to make Rikishi look like this big monster. So, you know, yeah, Rock you can, was doing... You, a- can,
1: you can imagine that he was going... like I, I've said that as well. He's a good seller of impact moves anyway, and obviously you can't you can over overdo it, like you said. But you can imagine he was probably going above and beyond for Rikishi, because, like... Yes. You know their the, the links there, of course, and like he wants this to work, but you know selling moves and making him look like a badass is only going to do so much, considering how bad the rest of it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I, I definitely have that note too because they're they're Samoan cousins or whatever. Like, they Rock is clearly trying very hard here to to get Rikishi over, and it makes the match I think a, a pretty great match. Um, they fight, Rock fights back, they go brawl to the outside, the ref gets bumped during this, Rikishi gets the sledgehammer back on the ring. Rock counters with a punch to the face and then hits the rock bottom on him, but he's still selling that Rikishi has beaten him up so badly that he can't cover. So he like crawls over and goes to cover him as the ref rolls back in the ring as well. But it all takes so long that Rikishi kicks out. And then Rikishi puts Rock right back down with a big headbutt. Then he gives him another falling headbutt while Rock is laying on the ground. He eventually hits the big butt drop, but Rock kicks out at two. Uh, Rikishi then gives Rock the stink face. Very weird as a heel spot. And the crowd, in fact, still kind of pops for it, even though it's the Rock taking it. But they've been so trained to pop for this as, as a spot. I feel yeah. like later on he will stop doing this as a heel spot. I think he might actually no longer do it later in the... You need to,
1: you need to yeah. like just cut any poppable move out of your arsenal, don't you? <laughs> in the day. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's the only really... I mean there's no reaction at the start and they wrote, there's a bit more reaction to him as he goes on, but like, it's by far the thing that people pop for the most. Yeah. And it's a pop. That's a positive thing as well. And it's not, not what you want from your heel at the end of the day.
0: Uh, rock suddenly explodes out of the corner with this awesome running clothesline Rikishi, Think of how big Rikishi is. He somehow takes a fucking flip bump for this clothesline. That like got me out of my chair. I'm like, how the hell did this 400 pound man or whatever it is, just take a flip bump off a clothesline. That was really impressive uh so really 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 cool spot there uh rock then comes back to this huge spine buster rikishi hits the people's elbow uh he's still selling so much he can't cover he finally does crawl over and cover and to my surprise that's the pin uh they did treat the people's elbow as a second finisher around this time but it still kind of was like okay really pin him with the elbow after uh it just kind of felt counterintuitive for the uh or counterproductive for the getting rikishi over as a monster thing uh but Rikishi does get back up and super kick Rock after the match. Then he gives him three straight Bonsai drops in the corner to leave him laying and then walks back over to looks like he's going to leave and gives him a fourth. I thought it was kind of a great touch. Um, but yeah, this match, the big surprise for me in the episode, I really liked it. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, it's very, very, I mean, it is it's good for what it is. I mean, it's 13 minutes, it's, it's, it's packed with action, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I, I felt the ending was, again, I'm a bit like you. I, I know the the people's over was protected a bit more, but. He didn't hit the rock bottom at that point. I know he hit a bit earlier, but then also he took a million years to get over to make the count. And obviously he's selling the, the rips. But unfortunately for me, I was just a little bit like, it made things look worse. Like it, it made it look softer almost. Like yeah. you know, he's hit him with just the elbow and then he's crawled over to him and Rikishi still doesn't kick out. And admittedly, they made up a bit of it with the bonsai drops at the end. And obviously he, he kind of walks out and you know the rock is is suffering in the ring. But I think, it's like I think Rock just
0: I think Rock taped his ribs up for that too, which was good.
1: Yeah, if you're if you're trying to like sell some, you know, this this you know big, nasty hill, having him get beaten in that way, it was just a bit like they protected him against uh, Austin in the, in the pay per view before. I think we went to a no contest. And I'm yeah. not saying like you need to go to no contest all the time, but I feel like a, a clean loss doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, I would have liked him to schoolboy or something. Yeah, um, but yeah, even beyond the finish, though, I thought Rock's over the top selling. Really worked well here to make Rikishi look like a big monster. Uh, it probably is the best Rikishi looked in this entire period, and you know Rock really tried his best here. And I thought, uh, you know, I went three and three quarters, maybe overrating a little bit because I sat through some really boring crap before this. But I thought it was a ton of fun. I, I really enjoyed this one. So
1: yeah, I, I yeah again I said I'm not a big sort of star rating person, but yeah, I was thinking like sort of you think like it's definitely above average, sort of like three and a half if that's what you're kind of going for. It was it was yeah. it was it did. It did the job, and it entertained. It could have been booked better in places, but, you know, it was it was fun, Go to well. Uh,
0: so we move forward now to our second-to-last one here, Survivor Series 2003, November 16th, uh, the American Airlines Arena in Dallas, Texas. Uh, oh, boy, this card sucks. I will say that, first of all. I mean, the match we got was pretty bad, uh, but there really isn't much else in the show I'd rather talk about. I mean, uh, so the match we got was the Basham Brothers with Shaniqua, Oh boy, can't wait to talk about that in a second. Uh, defeating Los Guerreros, uh, Chavo and Eddie, in exactly nine minutes to retain the WWE tag team titles. Um, there really isn't anything on this show though. Like this is, I don't think people remember how dire of a year two thousand three was for WWE. They kind of made a little bit of a comeback in two thousand four, but two thousand three was a low key, awful year for this company. I mean, there were a lot of really bad shows really bad angles this was like the vince and stephanie creep creepy feud had just happened uh the semi-main event here is vince and the undertaker in a fucking buried alive match uh the goldberg world title run did not work at all really and this was like triple h's worst work probably of his entire career where like his you know one of his fucking knees is constantly injured or something like that and he he was even worse than usual and just you know gutting himself through these stupid these matches for no real reason So the main event was Goldberg and Hunter, which was not very good either. And I don't don't regret not getting that. The only thing on this show that would have been fun to get because I remember this being really good uh, was the Bischoff versus Team Bischoff versus Team Austin uh, Survivor Series Elimination Match, where you know Shawn Michaels, who uh, frequently would be like the only highlight of these uh, early 2000s shows after he came back, he he I remember he like bled buckets and like uh, you know was the last guy in this in this match and for the Austin team. And really, I remember got, got down to like three on one and was doing his, you know, really good selling and stuff like that. So it would have been cool to see if that, if that held up, you know, to get that. Cause I remember liking that, liking that quite a lot, you know, as a, I guess as a teenager. Yeah. But, this
1: current, co- this coincides with my time, um, at university. So I don't think I've ever watched any of this really. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't have picked the Bashams out of a lineup. Genuinely. <laughs> genuinely, I, I, I guessed vaguely that they were big and bald, but most wrestlers are. So
0: yeah but yeah i mean this this you know so that was the only thing on this show that i would have liked to get and is, likes i've gotten i don't know if there's anything that's still up to you but
1: no i just it, it doesn't look great i'll be honest with you like having had a bit of a look through just now i'm like i guess because i'm not I don't think i've ever seen it the the, the man uh undertaker buried in life sounds kind of uh weirdly interesting but yeah it's really horrible <laughs> Oh, I can only imagine. But I was I was checked out at this point. I was off of university. So, I was going out on nights out. You know, meeting people, yeah. drinking beer. I wasn't really uh, wrestling. Was a uh, a footnote on my my time at that point. So yeah, so, not, not for the, me.
0: So the finish of Undertaker and Vince's brutal life is uh, so there's a backhoe or whatever, right, to, to dump the dirt in the grave. Uh, Vince is in the grave. Undertaker. Goes to open the door of the backhoe, and there's a explosion of some kind. Like basically, it's supposed to be Kane's pyro, but like localized to this backhoe door or something. It's like I I can't even describe how stupid it is. It's just a flash, and somehow this flash causes Undertaker to like fall off the backhoe, and then he staggers in the grave and falls in it without anybody ever touching him, all from some pyro going off in his general vicinity. And Kane opens the door, laughs evilly, and they dump. The, and Vince climbs in the backhoe and dumps the dirt on Undertaker. So Undertaker is defeated by Pyro. That's what happens here. Pyro going off in his general vicinity. Considering it's it's 12
1: minutes long, apparently, you've saved me about 10 minutes, so thanks for (laughs) that. I'll I'll take take the ending, it's fine.
0: (laughs) It's one of the worst finishes of a major match I could ever remember. Like, Kane doesn't touch him! Like, I watched it again to make sure, because I was like, is the ending as bad as I remember? And I I watched just the ending, not the whole match. And I was like, Kane does not touch this man! So Pyro goes off, and our taker is, like, so disabled by it, he, like, falls in the grave for no reason it's just so fucking stupid uh, but yeah so that's definitely definitely not not upset we didn't get that one uh, so the match we did get here the Bashams they became the 8th WWE Tag Team Champions which are the uh, the Smackdown brand belts that were invented in 2002 not the historic belts which are now called the World Tag Titles on Raw um, they beat the Guerreros on the October 21st Smackdown and this rematch is their first defense. And they're, they're beginning to tease the Chavo-Eddie split, which, you know, there'll be a, a spot towards the end of the match so they do continue teasing it. Uh, that, that tease went on for months, as it turned out. But yeah, because uh, Chavo Chavo finally did turn on his uncle on the uh, January 4th, 2004 episode of SmackDown. Uh, but yeah, I mean, more than a month away at this point, and they, they had started teasing it like in October, if I remember correctly. But that would set up the blow-off match at the Rumble, where Eddie then quickly ascended to the top of the singles ranks. Uh, he won the WWE title from Brock Lesnar the following month at No Way Out. Uh, the Bashams, meanwhile, would hold the tag titles until the February 3rd, 2004 episode of SmackDown, where they lost to the team of Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati in a five minute match. Uh,
1: I had to yes. hold, I, I wanted to blurt out there February with a big, massive question mark. Like, <laughs> these were champions until February.
0: It is very weird. So, That's yes, the science. the, yeah. the Bashams and Equal Gimmick always oh, so weird to me. Like, okay. Why am I, as a viewer, supposed to care that these two men have a dominatrix and like to be whipped? That's supposed to be heel heat. We're not supposed to like them because they come out with a dominatrix and she whips them once each before the match starts. Why do I give a fuck what Doug and Danny Basham like to do uh, in their private sex lives? Like, I never got why that was supposed to be a heel thing. I guess it's because, oh, you're not real bad or so I, I don't know, but it's just it's one of the more bizarre heel gimmicks to me in history where it's like, I, I don't get why that I'm supposed to boo this. And the live crowd agrees with me because they make no, – you have never heard a, an act in WWE history get less reaction than this. I mean, they make – there is not a single person making a single bit of noise when these tag team champions come out for their introduction. I mean – no one in this arena cares even the tiniest bit it is amazing how little they care i mean if you think you've if you think you've heard a gimmick not be over trust me it this this is like a different definition of not over
1: i feel like i gave more of a reaction to what happened than anyone in the building because i wasn't (laughs) wasn't expecting the whipping so when they got whipped i was a bit like oh that's it that was not what i was expecting (laughs)
0: it's so bizarre um but yes, yeah, so I guess it kind of explains why Shinigo will be gone soon after this. Her her last appearance came at No Way Out '04 in February. Uh, she went on to a long career, apparently, as a women's college basketball referee. So uh, you know, good for her, I guess. Yeah,
1: she, it's strange she... as well because she like she was involved in some of the, the the better parts of this, or at least the parts that people reacted to later yeah. on. At least in, the, in in the match, I'd say. She was Not saying she, she was had a... much upside other than that, but like considering the Basham's got no reaction, she at least got something. See, be.
0: tough enough, she was a tough enough winner, by the way. Tough enough season two winner Linda oh, okay. Miles. Yeah. Her and uh Jackie Gata, I think was the other one. But yeah, so that that was the the year where both the women won, which I guess people didn't realize could even happen. But uh either way, you know, the it was a very very, very strange gimmick. Uh and it did not did not work at all, really. The only thing that worked, I guess, is what you were gonna say when she like would attack the baby faces, that did kind of work. And it was like the 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 giant woman i mean giant i mean she's like probably six six feet tall very tall lady but you know so like the the tall lady uh beating up the baby-faced men you know that worked going all the way back to china you know so that always kind of was did did draw some heat so uh i guess that's uh i guess that's always kind of been a good gimmick she i remember i I saw an interview with her because i was researching like where is she now and she taught she mentioned um you know, which is probably the first time anyone has done this much research into Linda Miles slash Aniqua in many years. But, you know, when she mentioned that she was supposed to start wrestling men, like she said basically Vince was uh, you know, talking about having her wrestle men, which maybe I guess explains why she was getting so physical uh with the with the Guerreros here. But then she said it basically didn't happen and she left the company and ended up becoming a college basketball ref. So, you know, like I said, I hope she's uh enjoying her career there i don't know where i'm going with that uh i i really struggled to find many notes to take about the actual match they kind of just go back and forth i mean eddie does eventually do a cool little spot where he has one basham uh by his arm runs up the top rope and does a rana on the other one that did look very cool uh but he then runs right into a double hot shot from the basham's so he gets cut right back off again uh, he gets slingshot to the outside, barely gets over the top rope. Now, he seemingly has to motion for Shaniqua to charge over and clothesline him, uh, which I guess is not great. Maybe maybe she missed her spot or missed the cue or something, but she does run over and clothesline him, and then she scoop slams him on the outside for good measure. Uh, she gets involved later on, distracts the ref so the Bashment's can do a switch, uh, then tries to get involved. Chavo clotheslines her, uh, holds her for Eddie to frog splash her, then puts her over his leg so Eddie can spank her. Uh, mm-hmm. That did not age well at all. I mean, that is like, basically you're talking about two men decide to take a woman who is, you know, living apparently a dominatrix lifestyle, and they're like, we're going to show her. Let's smack her ass. I'm like, that's kind of uh, simulated sexual assault. I don't. I mean, it's really not very good. Not a good spot here. One of these many W spots that uh, looks really, really bad in hindsight. It, so it got uh,
1: the biggest reaction as well. That's the thing. Like the, 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 I think the frog splash on her like got the biggest reaction by far. Which means, yeah, I mean, the, the spot's over. F- but right after the
0: frog, after the frog flash is fine. I mean, she's you know she's fighting men and the men fight oh, yeah, back. Oh no, course, of course. I mean, of course. It, yeah. mean,
1: it's just it's yeah, I, it's, just, it's funny. Like in 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 two two thousand twenty one eyes, you sort of look back and go, okay, so the the spot where he frog flashes the woman and then bends her over and spanks her is is the big the big spot is a is a is, a, is an odd concept. Yeah.
0: I mean, the frog flash I thought was fine because you know she's fighting them and they fight back, but then like you know the the fucking like spanking was just like this is really creepy and really like. Like I said, kind of, kind of simulated sexual assault. So, uh, not good, not good at all. Uh, the finish comes right after one of the Basham's schoolboys, chavo, after he uh, accidentally uh, kicks Eddie when going for a tornado DDT, and which the camera almost completely misses on first time. You have to you see it on the replay. Uh, and then he pulls his tights and gets the win. This is pretty fucking bad. Uh, nothing really that fun or interesting here. Basham's one of the most boring teams in WWE history. Shaniqua stuff was fucking creepy at best. And, I don't know, went one and three quarters. Just almost all of that for Eddie's double team a spot. And they blew the finish. On, I mean, the caravan blew the finish, too, on top of that. So, yeah. Not not good.
1: Yeah, I, I hate finishes where a move is applied differently to how it would be done normally. Um, just to, like, cause a problem. So, like, the swinging DDT does, and then somehow kicks his uncle. with. It was a bit it, it, it looked bad personally and almost as blown except from the camera's point of view um, Eddie does some good stuff in this I think he's you know fired up is good and the three amigos is a great spot and as highlighted on the AWP pay-per-view which I watched recently like he does it the best of any wrestler I've seen do it to be fair so like it's uh, it was good to see that of course um, yeah you know one and a half one and three quarters I'm sort of with you realistically it, it wasn't great and I wasn't inspired to go out and see any more Basham Brothers. Like that's the one Basham Brothers like match I've seen. I'm happy with that.
0: They're horrible. I mean, they're really yeah,
1: they not, were, never they, were a... they were not they were not good. They were not. To yeah. be fair, actually, I'll put it out there. I did put on my notes Chavo Guerrero, the worst best wrestler ever. He's, he's always <laughs> talked about as as someone who's obviously competent as a wrestler, but I could not give a shit about him.
0: Yeah, he's not, he's not not Mr. Excitement. That's for sure. No,
1: no, he just does nothing for me on any level.
0: So, we jump all the way forward here from 2003 to 2016 for our last show here. Uh, this is Survivor Series 2016 from November 20th uh the Air Canada Center in Toronto. All right, folks, we got cut off again. So, another awkward transition. But I just introduced Survivor Series 2016. Uh, you know, I was about to say, this is, I don't want to say it's an interesting show because it's not really, but it's sort of like the start of the current era of Survivor Series because, uh... They had just reinstated the brand split, uh, you know, after it a kind of, in, they never officially ended it after it started in 2002, but just kind of a drifted uh, into not being a thing anymore. And then they, re, they restarted it in 2016. Um, you know, that was the, the second brand split. And, you know, this is the first, so this is the, it, it was July 2016. And this is the first Survivor Series, you know, that's again, Raw versus SmackDown. Uh, they hadn't yet come up with the idea of doing these champion versus champion matches, but you again had like, you know, three different Raw versus SmackDown elimination matches, which I feel like would have been kind of interesting, interesting to get just to see the, you know, the first ones I guess of this era. Um, I, I don't know how much you, WWE you, you were watching in 2016, um, but it's always fun to me when we do these WWE ones and I get like recent stuff, and you know, it reminds me just how sporadically. I've been watching for the past, like, 13 years where I can, you know, I can remember almost everything from WWE all the way through from, like, I don't know, like, 94 through, like, 2008, you know? I can remember that stuff all really, really well. And then, like, you know, other than that, like, I came, I came back for, like, Punk's Pipe Bomb promo in 2011 and uh, Brian's Big Wood in 2014. But I was not a big fan of them at all from – you know, for the entire, basically the entire decade plus uh the last 13 years or so. So there's so much stuff where, like, you know, it, I, I never saw it at all, or I did kind of see it, but, like, only was half paying attention, and I just don't remember, you know, the entire last 13 years of WWE at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, think I just,
1: sorry, I just, I just watched passively, I think. So, like, I'm looking yeah. at the card here, and I just, like, I'm sure I watched this, but I couldn't tell you a single thing about it.
0: I don't remember it at all, so I don't think I watched it. But, you know, I could have watched it and just not paid attention. But, yeah. um, So, basically, until we got to the hype video, until I started looking into it, I I had no memory this was Goldberg's first match back in 12 years, like his actual return. Uh, It does make sense, though, because Goldberg uh, beat Brock back at WrestleMania 20 in 2004, uh, a match I was at at Madison Square Garden, a true disaster uh, to the point where they had to censor the crowd on the DVD just to make it watchable. Because the crowd hated people don't remember that story. Brock, Brock was leaving for the to, to do his NFL tryout, and Goldberg was leaving just because he hated the promotion, and wanted nothing to do with them by that point. Uh, after how shitty his run had been, and the crowd just booed the shit out of both guys and totally turned on the match. It was fun to be there for that, honestly, to boo the crap out of both of them. But like, yeah, just completely, you know, they had to they had to like censor the crowd basically to make it watchable on DVD. Um, But yeah, but the return match here is another match with Goldberg and Brock. So it makes sense. Uh, And Goldberg had won that match in 2004. So this is like Brock going for his revenge. And this all came about when uh, Goldberg was included in the 2K video game that year, apparently, which actually was the catalyst for a lot of returns in that era, of this era, I should say. Uh, And then they hyped it up with Goldberg challenging Brock on SportsCenter. Uh, Five years later... After what everybody I think assumed would be like a little one-off here, Goldberg is still making sporadic appearances in WWE after missing all that time. So kind of amazed when you think about it. Uh, Here's the whole match, everybody. Bell rings. Brock double-legs him, backs him in the corner. Goldberg pushes him right down his ass. Brock stares at him in shock for a bit, which I thought was kind of corny. But then he smirks at him. Uh, but he makes his mistake, like getting back up and turning him back on, turning his back on Goldberg. That lets Goldberg spear Brock. Goldberg hits a second spear. He waits around for Brock to get back up, and then he gives him the jackhammer and pins him. That's the whole match. Now, as a moment, and we all know WWE creates moments. Uh, uh, <laughs> as a moment, uh, you know this this works. You know the crowd clearly loves it. Uh, as a match. It's really nothing. It's pretty bad when you have a minute and a half of runtime, and there's still a lot of the two of them like staring at each other, and like one way for them to get back up. Uh, like they do have a really cool match together, but it's the four minute and forty five second rematch at WrestleMania thirty three the following April. That match is awesome. Uh, this match is just kind of nothing. I, yeah, I don't as a, really as, a man,
1: as a man who hasn't got a lot of time to like watch wrestling matches when on the same card, there's a 52-minute match. I was quite happy to get the uh, 26-second match, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, I'm glad you mentioned it, though, because I do feel like um, they did build quite well... Considering, like, what this match is, they did build quite well on it in the rematches, because, you know... Brock's kind of like arrogance kind of cost him in this match and, you know, he just thought he'd beat Goldberg and be fine and Goldberg obviously beats him very quickly and then there's a few bits uh, in the next couple of matches they have where, you know, he's kind of learning that actually Goldberg is a bit more of a threat. You know, you take what you can get in some ways and, you know, like, you know, Lesnar to me is still someone who for the most part is an engaging watch if not always producing the best matches. Like, he's someone you want to watch and you kind of do I will turn tune into his matches in a way I, I won't for many other people, um, but yeah, it's yeah I I'm more surprised that it was about promotion for the new game as much as anything else. It seems like I thought it was like a would be a bit more of an epic kind of like reason for them fighting, but they basically were arguing over the video game and then they have a 26 <laughs> second fight and it's a bit yeah yeah it, it, it should have felt bigger than it was. And it really just didn't.
0: Um, so I went two and a quarter. I don't know. certainly not even an average match, but whatever. It's a minute and a half long. Really yeah, I don't know.
1: It's a hard one to like rate because, yeah, as a, as a, as a moment, like it is pretty cool, and um, I liked you talking about the idea of like when Lesnar was looking up at him, like being a bit corny. I quite like that. I'd like the fact that he seemed shocked by the fact that actually you know Goldberg could do something to him. But um, yeah, you know, two stars realistically, like, and that's purely for the moment, not for the match. Um, but you know, as I said, the, the thing with Brock Lesnar, I always think as well is that if you go back to what he was like when he first debu- debuted, he was just a freak of, like, athleticism. And, like, if you go back and watch some of his earlier stuff in his first year, like, he's so impressive. And admittedly, he's still maintained that aura, but, like, he just doesn't have the same capacity to to wrestle much outside of what he... You know, he, he knows what he can do, and he knows what, like, works, and that's kind of what he does. And it's a bit of a shame in some ways, but, you know, he's had health issues. He's had, you know... he's He's old now, older now, isn't he? So, therefore, he's not going to be the same wrestler, so... Yeah, yeah, it's a shame, but it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting moment. It's worth watching. It's 26 seconds. Why not?
0: Um, the other big critique at the time was that WWE basically spent years telling you that part-timer Brock was on a completely different level than all the regular roster members, and the guy they have squash him clean in a minute is another even older part-timer in Goldberg. Now, I remember a lot of people at the time being like, what if they had Braun Strowman do that to Brock instead? at the time, again, five years ago, that did feel like a point of critique. Five years later, Braun's not even the company anymore. uh, And the wrestlers in this company have become so completely interchangeable and quite literally discardable that I'm not sure it even would have mattered if Braun had been the one to squash Brock uh, in this big win in a minute, you know, Mm -hmm. at the time. I don't know if the, the arc of WWE history really fucking changes if Braun gets that win instead of Goldberg.
1: No, it's Good. interesting, isn't it, as well? Because, like, the way they treated some of the other people coming in, so if you look at, like, Sting's matches in WWE, like, to to put someone who, even more so in some ways, wasn't um, their own property. Like, Goldberg was a, a huge, you know, attitude-era yeah, WCW guy. So to put him over so strongly, even though, I mean, I know he'd been there before, but, like, it just, it was strange... Like, it, I say strange, but like, it's just, yeah, like, um, of all the people to put over him so strongly. But, yeah, you know, as, as you said, like, it does end up in a, uh, you know, a, a good match eventually. And and, and and maybe this is like the starting point that builds towards that. And, you know, you accept it and, and move from there, really.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, at the time, it felt like a very pointed critique. But, like, you know, again, the arc of WWE history I don't think changes much. I mean, it'd still be a horrible company making horrible television, getting paid shit loads of money by other companies. They just kind of are what they are and booking for them just does not matter at all, which is one of the reasons why they're just so in- uninteresting to, to cover or talk about in this era. So, you know, uh, it kind of is what it is. The fact that I, I, I again, I, people got very pissed when Goldberg beat Bray for the, uh, uni- I think the universal title, you know, of last year in twenty twenty, and now Bray's fired. I mean, just you know, you there. There's no, it. it nothing matters if they're just going to keep releasing guys uh, with such with such speed. I mean, you can never know who's going to be on TV getting a push and who's going to be gone the next minute. Like yeah, when, when Goldberg's your
1: last man standing on that. It's a bit of a yeah. yeah in two thousand sixteen, if you go, you got Bray, you got Braun Strowman, you got Bray. What you know, well, you yeah. know would well, be Bray Wyatt, effectively. And you're like, yeah. actually, Goldberg would still be around, and those and guys Goldberg be and around. Brock they were, they were great by any means, but just yeah. You know, Goldberg and Brock are still
0: there. Good. Goldberg and Brock are both still there. Brian and are both gone. It's very bizarre. But yeah, just uh, you know. I don't know, just kind of a maybe kind of a down note to end the show on, but that just definitely something it, it, it shines
1: a light on what, what WWE has become in some ways.
0: So. Yeah. There you go. All right, Liam, anything
1: you want to plug before you get out of here? Um, so I obviously contribute to Voices of Wrestling, so I do the Wrestling Classic where I'm looking at the um, top 100 uh, 80s matches uh, as uh, I think it was um, posted by Jeff Baldron in an in Wrestling Observer at the end of the 80s. So I'm kind of going through those and looking at the ones that have video footage and sort of doing a bit of a deep dive on those. Um, I've written some books for Kindle, so therefore uh, if you go and have a look for uh, – got The Road to WrestleMania 3, which is my most recent one, which covers uh, the year from WrestleMania 2 to WrestleMania 3 and kind of covers what happened there to go from a pretty bad pay-per-view to one of their best pay-per-views in terms of, you know, scope and, yeah, in terms of actually, you know, realising what they wanted from WrestleMania. Um, But I also did uh, Tracking the Territories as well, which is a, a set of four books which looked at 1984, mainly TV reviews, just looking at sort of various shows and kind of reviewing them as I went along. But if you were looking for, you know, um, some coverage of you know the time period of Hogan comes in to WWF uh, at the start of that year, wins the belt, and kind of that first year. Looking at what WWF are doing, looking at what Mid South are doing, looking at uh, Memphis, uh, you know Crockett, you know a bit of everyone really. To be fair, so you know check those out. Um, follow me at Twitter um, TV Timeline It is my uh, handle. Um, don't post loads, but obviously I do try to share my own work. So uh, by all means check it out. And um, yeah, that's about it really.
0: Well, wow. I usually say anything to plug and the guest is like has nothing, but you had like five things. So there you go, you're making the most of that plug time. Uh of course you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. Wrestling Wouldn't Fit. We'll be back in two weeks for another Retro that episode, uh, this time talking the WCW Starcade. Uh only the WCW Years because I do not really know anything about pre WCW and WA, so figured it'd be good to just use the WW Years as a starting point. So Uh, But yes, we'll be back in two weeks with that. In the meantime, I want to thank you as always for listening, and we will see you next time.